It's the Post Traumatic Faith Podcast with your host, Jill Riley. On this podcast, Jill explores what faith can look like after trauma. Hi, I'm Jill Riley. I am an author and a minister. I am also a trauma survivor and live with complex PTSD, depression, anxiety, and a dissociative disorder. My prayer is that post-traumatic faith will bring you hope and joy in your own journey. Welcome to Post-Traumatic Faith. This is Jill Riley, and I'm here with my guest, Rihanna Milne, and I am just honored that she has the time to speak with us today. Rihanna is a certified global life and love trauma recovery coach, a certified clinical trauma and addictions professional, a certified mindfulness coach, number one best-selling author, the host of her podcast called Lessons in Life and Love, an educational light speaker and licensed mental health counselor for over 21 years living in the Palm Beach County, Florida. She is also a life and dating coach for the docuseries Radical Dating, Finding Lasting Love Over 40. Rihanna specializes in helping those who have had past childhood or love relationship trauma to heal, transform, and thrive, leading them to create the life they desire and have the love they deserve. So that is a couple of paragraphs about you, Rihanna. Tell us more. Tell us something that wasn't mentioned in the bio. Hi, Jill. How are you? Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Oh, what else can I say? I'm a mother of two amazing daughters, Stefana and Alexi, the grandmother of five and one on the way, boys and one little girl. Isn't isn't the grandma gig cool? It's very cool, especially with little boys, because I raised two daughters, right? Oh, yeah. We have our first granddaughter, and it's pretty exciting. Yeah, it's really amazing. And another boy is on the way. So oh, very that's exciting. Um, I love travel. I'm a mega dancer. I was a disco dance queen back in the day. And I'm also cool. an minister since 1997. Um, have been very happy to perform many, many wedding services in the Atlantic City area. And only one funeral, which was my mother's. So yeah. that's a little bit more about me. So do you like doing wedding ceremonies? I love it. They're all custom written weddings. Um, I pull from what their faith is or spiritual readings and messages because, you know, I'm an author of seven books. And uh, so it's, they're all very unique and very different. So that makes my clients happy. And I feel honored to share in that special day with them. Yeah. As a minister, that's how I feel about weddings. I always feel honored that they would ask me to play a role in, in such a monumental event. So yeah, cool. a little bit well, of pressure, right? Yeah. Sure a little bit, a little bit well. of pressure. Don't mess this one up. I always yeah. figure as long as, as long as we get the license signed and we get some vows, vows made, we're good, but we try to add a little bit extra in. <laughs> I always say when I have tears from the bride or the groom with what my words, then I know I'm hitting the emotion or from the parents. So yes, you know, yes, to me, definitely celebrating their love journey. Yeah. Yes. So tell me, I'm curious a little bit more about your work as a life, love and relationship coach. How did you land on this as a career? I've never heard those three things together as a coach. So tell me a little bit how you landed there. Well, the title is actually even longer. It's a love trauma recovery coach and mindset coach. 
Um, well, I, I, where do I start? I started studying spiritual masters in my late teens and early 20s, got involved with the Course of Miracles in my early 20s. Uh, to help me heal from the death of my best friend who was killed by a drunk driver when we were 16. That really kind of shook me up. And then at 23, I lost my best friend at that time. Uh, she was murdered by her boyfriend. So I was, you know, uh, experienced love trauma. And I had this mindset, like, how much time do I have? And I'll never be with anyone that disrespects me or is going to hurt me. So, I mean, it's two major losses and yeah, I had to deal with that trauma, which was my spirituality helped me get beyond it. Um, I always knew I wanted to be a counselor, but at 26, uh, because I had to pick my children up from school at three o'clock, I decided to create a business that I knew I could be successful at. And that was to open up a model and talent school and agency that I could close the doors oh. at 2.30, get my kids at three and then uh, work with my talent to get them in the big markets of New York and LA and beyond. And this was from the small town of Erie, PA. So um, very interesting. I was doing a lot of mindset work there where people were putting them down. Oh, you're just from this small town. You know, it's stupid to think you're going right. to make it in LA or what makes you, well, my own daughter sings on three multi-platinum CDs with a top artist. And our own father said, what makes you think you can be a singer? So those doubts put in your mind by supposedly people who love you, this is right. where the mindset for success really comes into play, that no matter how the world or people doubt you, you're strong enough in your conviction and your faith to create that life you do desire, that you want to happen. So I've been doing mindset work for 40 years. And then I went back to school in later years to um, get my a triple master's and apply clinical and counseling psychology. Opened up my practice in twenty uh, year two thousand called Therapy by the Sea in South Jersey, and at the time as I was building my practice, I worked in schools with kids of trauma, grades kindergarten all the way through college. I worked in a um, drug and alcohol facility rehab center for teens as well as one for women from the prison system. I also worked in a hospital care system for child and adolescent mental health. Okay. So despite all the backgrounds and the ages and the cultures and the mix of experiences, I had found that the top 10 traumas kept coming up for people. But it wasn't until I had a second love trauma in my life where my ex-husband looked at me and said, I don't know why I sabotage everything I love. I don't know what's the matter with me. And I said, I don't know either, but I'm going to figure it out. But I would sure because, like to know. <laughs> because I needed to find out to heal. And I went to seven therapists who could not help me. Um, nobody knew about or talked about what childhood trauma was. Um, it was not taught to me in my triple masters. So I did deep research on this to heal myself yeah. and found this is so fascinating. I have to take this message to the world. In 2012, I created my childhood trauma checklist, and I still use it today. Simple assessment. Everyone can tell whether they had trauma or not. Um, now, wait a minute. Back up. In, in, your, in your triple masters, you didn't do, they didn't present work on childhood trauma? No, that word was never spoken of. That really? phrase. They might have talked about family systems therapy. I had a class on that. <laughs> Interesting. I never would have guessed that. I would have guessed yeah. that maybe back in the 60s or 70s, but certainly not in the in the 90s or the 2000s. 
No. And that's why I have so many clients come to me and say, I've been in, you know, therapy for seven years. And in my discovery session, I dig deep into the traumas and make the correlations of what's happening now in their adult life. And they're like, seven years of therapy, I haven't heard any of this. I learned more in one hour than seven years of therapy here. And as a clinical trauma professional now, it's a teaching model. Coaching is more teaching the way I coach mm-hmm. um, because it's educational and I have to learn different strategies and practices to get the trauma out of the brain and the body cells. Uh, there is a spiritual component to it. There's meditation. I do vitamin therapy, diet, balance in life, uh, new communication skills when I'm working with couples because I have to diagnose um, the traumas from partner A and also from partner B. And then how is this showing up in their relationship? So I have to teach new communication skills around that. So it's really pretty intricate. So do you feel like your foundation um, in mindset was really, uh, was that just really a a building block for working towards uh, healing from trauma? Oh, yes. They all do it. I call it the mindset for success. (laughs) Live beyond your dreams from fear and doubt to personal power, purpose and success is about the mindset for success. And I wrote that in 2008. So before I came out as a coach, I wanted my materials written first. So that was book one. And then Love Beyond Your Dreams, a 400 page book that went to number one bestseller on Amazon. That was number two. And then I have a 150-page workbook that my clients work with. So it takes time to do all that research and writing and putting them out as professional materials. definitely. Um, And then when they were all ready, I went totally to the coaching model because I I really, really loved it versus therapy. Yeah. 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 So um, give me the distinction between therapy and coaching. Okay. Coaching or therapy is more a medical model. When I am a psychotherapist, whether it was licensed professional counselor called LPC in Florida, I'm LMHC, licensed mental health counselor. We have to put a diagnostic code to everybody we meet. And I never really liked labeling anybody just because Mm -hmm. they might be going through depression with the loss of someone. Now in their medical charts, it says depression or major depression, and it follows them the rest of their life. So I don't like that to begin with. And I was always more educational. You know, um, I had one professor, he goes, I want you to see five therapists and write up what you like about them. And I wrote back, I said, I don't like any of their styles. (laughs) I, you know, if I'm going to invest my time and money in a therapist, I want answers. I want opinions. I want some advice. And I know I'm open to say yes or no to that advice, but give me some feedback. I don't want to just sit there and talk myself and just hear, how do you feel about that? I feel lousy. That's why I'm here, you know? So I just didn't like that model. And the coaching model I love because it's more motivational. It's inspirational. I can use my uh, spirituality to -hmm. help with the healing part, which is essential and critical to healing trauma, where in therapy, you're not supposed to talk religion at all or spirituality. Um, It is educational. And I have a lot to teach when it comes to trauma healing. So yes, I have to understand the dynamics of psychology when things are showing up in someone's life, especially unconsciously. So what I do is a hybrid of psychology, um, coaching, and then trauma healing, right? And the motivation to reach your goals and dreams. So that's the mindset for success part. 
So it's yeah, kind of like okay. a three part system. That makes system. sense. Why and, is you know, it? In, I, Go I'm ahead. Sorry. Even in counseling, they call them usually a patient, which denotes they're sick. Mm-hmm. In coaching, I my people are called clients, and they work with me as a team. Okay. Very different model, right? So it's yeah. more collaborative, and we're working on this together. Um, and my clients just love it. It's very, yeah. very different. Yeah, yeah. I, I like the difference, the different in mindset there. Why is it that the therapists are taught that spirituality or that um, faith can't come into the conversation of, of the therapeutic environment? I've never understood that. Unfortunately, it's the traditional medical model, which is based in science, pure science, facts or no fact. And we always had to keep, uh, you know, the diagnostic code and look it up in the DSM manual for psychotherapy, psychotherapy, you know, and and put a code to people. Um, And that to me was ridiculous because people go through things. They might go through a period of anxiety or depression, but it doesn't mean that's their state of being the rest of their life. So it is based in the medical model and spirituality, they say, is not based in science. Okay. That's the answer. I mean, I agree with it, Jill. (laughs) You know how I am. Yeah. I've just always, I've always wondered that. I mean, my therapist allows me to talk about, uh, talk about faith and because it's such an integral part of my life, but I know that that isn't everybody's comfort level. So um, I just know that that's kind of the the gold standard is you're not supposed to touch that. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So tell me um, just in summary, I know you could, you could talk for hours on this, but how does childhood trauma affect future relationships? Um, we know that it affects, it affects so many things in our life, but you deal with kind of people who are in, in, in relationships that are trying to figure out what in the world is going wrong. What is the corollary there? Well, it impacts people personally, how they feel about themselves. So I call that in life, right? Their joy and their happiness, their purpose in life, uh, whether they're positive or negative fear-based thinking. So this is all about the personal self. It affects them in love relationships, relationships with parents, friends, and children. So that's relationships in general. And it impacts them in their success journey in business. Because if you're fear-based negative thinking, you might go so far, then you stop yourself. Now, what if I spend that money on a coach and it doesn't work? I don't know if I can do it. Like, so, you know, I see so many other people do it. That's the fear-based negative thinking, the lack of confidence, right? So it shows up in many different ways. Um, How did it get there? Well, when we're children, we're all very young and innocent and we are a product of our environment. The research shows childhood trauma goes through at least three generations. So if we have it and identify it, our parents had it and so did their parents. So that's what we call intergenerational. It just keeps going until someone gets the training, becomes more aware, and then grows their children in a different way. And that's what happened to me. I mean, I'm a product of childhood trauma. That's why I was attracting toxic partners into my life. And I had to look back and it's not about blame or shame, you know, to the self or to the parent as an adult. It's about understanding the facts. Okay, this happened. Now, how's it showing up? And part C, how do we fix and heal this and move Mm -hmm. forward so it no longer impacts us, which we call emotional triggers. So it's really 
patterns that start forming when you're a child to help protect you and keep you safe in a child's mind. Like if you have a very domineering, uh, angry father and he's screaming at you and a couple of times you tried to talk about the reason why you did something, you got slapped across the face, you learned, I better not speak up about how I feel about this when someone's mad at me because I'm going to get punished even more. So then as an adult, you practice that all the time as a kid, as an adult, you probably shut down. You right. don't it becomes maladaptive then. Yeah. You're not comfortable with it. You're not confident. You, you know, you let the other person have their way or if they start yelling at you, you get quiet. Now, a lot of times this can create passive aggressive behavior. You're quiet and then you're angry for a while. Right. So this is where these patterns come from, you know, as a child, it started when you were a child. So as a part of your work, do you go back to this is the origin of that thought pattern? Yes. Within the first hour, which I call a discovery session, there's five assessments that people sign up for. Quick, easy to do. Yes, no, one to four, easy. But they are learning something off of each sheet. These are all part of that large notebook I was talking about. But -hmm. from how they answer And a few questions that I ask, I'm able to make the interpretations of because I went through this and this is showing up, this is showing up because of this incident that happened. Mm -hmm. Now, are these, are these assessments that you're talking about, are these things that you've created or are they more the typical psychological assessments that you would go through? Not that you would see at a therapy office. Um, One I really like is the ACOA checklist by Sylvia Kay and Ronnie Fisher. That is one that I use that came before me. The others, my childhood trauma checklist, and then a couple that I created um, because they they get to the core of what's going on, the root of the problems. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for an example, you know, I had a client in yesterday and he really spiraled after the death of his father, which was last year. And, you know, he's younger, you know, like 27 years old. And I said, you never got to show him what kind of man you could be. You didn't reach success yet. Mm. And he is stuck trying to start a business. He just, he writes all these goals down and never starts any action. You know, now this is the first I saw him as he's going to be a client of mine. And because he's stuck, he's so fear-based on make mistakes it's because he was stuck in that critical voice of the father saying, you'll never get this. You'll never do anything right. right. So he keeps hearing that. And then he couldn't prove it to his father before the father's death. And now he's been depressed for a year. So is it a letting go of those um, negative messages or is it a rewiring of that? How would you refer to it? Yeah. Trauma stays stuck in the brain and the body cells. Um, The good thing is the brain is very malleable. It can be retrained through very different strategies. Um, Like I said, every one of my clients is very individual. So depending what they went through and the severity levels is the strategies that I would use for that particular client. There are some things that all my clients do like meditation and mine is called spiritual divine meditation, which is a combination of prayer and Mm -hmm. visualizing what you desire in your life and also giving gratitude for what you do have, all the blessings you do have. Many of us don't even stop and pause and thank the higher source for all the gifts that they have. And when you're grateful in your heart, you tend to receive a lot more. 
right? Mm -hmm. Because you're looking at life and the world in a positive versus a negative way. Right. So my clients start their day off with that. Um, So that's a standard technique. Okay. So you talk in your work about the top 10 childhood traumas and, um, you know, you talk about big T and little T traumas. Can you explain that, peel that apart a little bit for us? Yeah. Let's start with big T trauma. Big T trauma is one incident that was very severe and it could involve witnessing a death or being involved with that, a major car accident, a physical accident, Um, or one like myself, you know, I uncovered the letters from my father from a mistress with pictures a 10 year old girl should never see. Mm. That is a one incident, but it impacted me the rest of my life. You know, and all of a sudden my brother and I are this uh, holder of a family secret that we can't tell anyone because it could split up my family if my mom found out. Right. So my parents are now deceased. So I can talk about the story. But, you know, I mean, that's a big T trauma. So it could be emotional or it could be a physical event. Okay. Okay. Uh, Little T traumas are things that happen repeatedly over time. So verbal put down messages over and over and over again, or being bullied for two to three years at a time. So it's not one incident. It's incidences that keep reoccurring over Mm. and over that some people would say, oh, really? Is that a trauma? Yes, it is to you because it impacted your life and how you feel about yourself or your world at large. Okay. Mm -hmm. Does calling them big T trauma or little T trauma, does that denote the impact on a person? Like is a big T trauma more impactful than a little T trauma? Um, Not necessarily so, according to the research. I mean, trauma is trauma on the brain and the body system. So it doesn't really matter. I don't ask them, is that big T or little T to you? I just say, rate that on a one to 10 scale, 10 being the worst. How severe does that feel in your body? And they Mm -hmm. relate to that a little bit more, but just recently this definition of big T and little T has come out. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if you'd like, I'll go into what the 10 traumas are and then you know, people yeah, run, run through them real quick. I'm interested. Okay. And then I'll give you an example of big and little T trauma again. Okay. So again, keep in mind listeners that when you're young and innocent, um, none of these traumas you might've experienced are your fault. And at this point in life, we don't want to blame your mom or dad. Uh, we're trying to look at these as facts. Did they, or did they not happen to you? Right. Right. Uh, because I always say you can't change what you don't acknowledge or understand. You have to understand what happened and then we dissect it and then we rebuild the story around it. So the first one is if your parents had any addictions and I named 12 of them. So there's drugs, alcohol, sex, which was one of mine that I uncovered, you know, a family secret around a sexual affair, Um, porn use, gambling, hoarding, spending, eating, gaming, TV, watching, um, workaholism. And the last one is social media or computer addiction. And the addictions always usually come before quality time with the child. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, second, so a big and a little T trauma would be a big T trauma is your parent gets drunk every night and yells and screams at you. And you are getting that every night, right? That's just major. Right. Right. Versus two to three drunken episodes. They, you remember them, but there was two of them. Right. 
Okay. Okay. So you can see what was major or not major, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Second is um, verbal messages or verbal abuse. So you could have watched mom and dad yelling and screaming. They could have yelled and screamed at you. This is also verbal put downs or not hearing compliments, uh, being told, you know, something like you look heavy in that, go change your outfit. Don't go out looking like that, you know? Mm -hmm. So anything that makes you feel not good enough, pretty enough, worthy enough in any way, smart enough, you know, things like that. And not hearing the words, I love you. That's Mm -hmm. also one of them. Um, Number three is emotional abuse or neglect. Number four, and I'll go into a big and little T trauma there. So they identified in the research, if a parent had to work nine to five, and back then we called it latchkey kids, there was no after school programs. You give a key to your child, they let themselves in, they pick up the phone at the house, they can dial and say, I'm home. But that still creates anxiety in the child because they're home alone. Right. Okay. A big T trauma would have been left and lost all day at Disney world and not can't find your parents. Right. Okay. Okay. All right. So you can see like the escalation of like, Whoa, you know, I don't know where to go. I'm lost. Where are they? You know, that kind of fear set into a big T trauma. Okay. Okay. So that's an example. All right. So number four is any physical abuse where you're hit or beat um, sexual abuse, rape or molestation. Okay. Number five is abandonment. There's two types, fault and no fault abandonment. So a no fault abandonment is a parent that happened to die early, a parent that goes serve their country at wartime, or even a parent that travels and that's how they earn the money to support the family, but they're barely at home. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's no fault. A fault abandonment is if the parent was never involved in a child's life, if they were involved until the marriage or the relationship broke up and they barely see the child, it can even be that emotional abandonment when that parent is still in the house, but they rarely engage with this child. So they're not at their sport or their art events. Uh, They don't really talk to them much. They're zoned out into TV or their work, you know, and they're just kind of there, but they're not engaged emotionally. Yeah. Okay. The next one is if you're were part of the foster care system, adopted or had to live in somebody else's home because your parents couldn't keep you in their home. Trauma seven is one that most can identify with. This is personal trauma. So if you just don't feel like you fit in in any way. So this could be your chubby, overweight child and tease for that or skinny and gawking called the nerd the only African-American in all Caucasian school. So it could be cultural, it could Mm -hmm. be racial, it could be a gay or lesbian student trying to come out to be their authentic selves and everybody teases them or puts them down. So many people can relate to trauma seven. Yeah, that's a big one. I would think that that one would surprise some people that that was actually trauma. It's also bullying. That was one for yeah. me. I was hor- horribly bullied and it made my life miserable. Right. We talk, you know, we talk about bullying and, and things like that, but I think some of the personal, um, you know, shaming and different things that happen, I, yeah. I don't think we acknowledge that as, as trauma as much maybe. Oh yeah, it is trauma. It's very traumatic. So if you see it happening in your kids, parents, get them some help and support. It's not a light thing just to gloss over. Right. It's very important. 
Uh, trauma seven is around siblings. So your sibling could have bullied you. They could have been born with a medical issue, which is, you know, commanded more of mom's and dad's time, or you perceive them to be the golden child, the favored one. So they could have been the star athlete or more handsome or beautiful or the, the best student in the family. And they got all the praise. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, trauma nine is two parts. And this is, um, the research shows everyone has at least one to three of the childhood trauma. So this is one everybody has, which is called community trauma. And we're all experiencing the community uh, illness of COVID right now. Right. So the world at large is under trauma right now. And you can see what's happening, more unrest, more anger. Um, it's been a very tough year you know, for people, uh, the isolation away from other people. So this is a community trauma that's impacting all of us. It can would also, racism, would racism fit into that category? Yes. Okay. Under community. Mm-hmm. Okay. Also our mass shootings, our school shootings and our mother nature events, floods, fires, hurricanes, tornadoes, wiping okay. out communities at large. So this one is getting bigger and bigger as time goes on. Unfortunately, when I was a little girl, you didn't hear much about community trauma at all. Okay. Yeah. Uh, The other part of number nine is family trauma. This could be if a parent was incarcerated, if you grew up in a dangerous neighborhood, um, moving every two to four years due to the military has to move here in the U.S. or you know, in other countries that makes the child, the new kid in school all the time could be growing up with a lot of lack or in a dangerous neighborhood, you know, always scrambling to make the bills. These kinds of things would be considered uh, family mm-hmm. trauma and trauma 10 is mental health illness in mom or dad. Thus baby boomers are, we didn't see our parents go to counseling. So we kind of have to guess if they right. had it. Right. Um, the two most difficult for a child to navigate is borderline and bipolar personality disorder. So borderline is, I describe it as fast trigger anger, erratic moods. When they're good, they're great. When they're bad, they're horrid. And you never know what's going to flip them out and get them angry. Mm-hmm. So kids are like walking on eggshells around a parent like that. It's very high anxiety to grow up under. Mm-hmm. And then bipolar is manic depressive. A lot of people think the manic is a high and happy phase, but it's often mixed with an addiction. So an alcoholic binge, a gambling binge, a spending spree, but they might be happy while they're doing that, right? And then the depressive side can show up as anger, checking out emotionally or extreme fatigue. So those are the top 10. Wow. That, you know, I think that would be so, um, so clarifying to, I mean, it's clarifying for me to hear this. I'm, I'm, I'm listening to to you, Rihanna and going, wow, I really parred the hole on that one. Uh, (laughs) But um, it's easy for people to decipher yes or no, I did have that or I did not. And sometimes like the one where my father traveled um, when he worked, we didn't know he was FBI and CIA. And to us, that was just his job. Like, we didn't even think of that as trauma. But then I remember, like, asking a lot, when's daddy coming home? Is dad all right? So it's like a no-fault abandonment because we didn't know when he'd walk in the door and if he was okay or not. And then I had this other secret in my head. Well, maybe he's with that other lady. 
you know, which got oh, me yeah. upset, you know, so it was very disconcerting for me as a kid, even though that's how he supported the family. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That is, that is great information. And, um, I, I'm going to have you list off some things, um, at the end of the podcast, but I suppose you have this information written in a book somewhere. About um, tra- well, childhood trauma can also get the, uh, childhood trauma ebook that you're going to have okay. in the living, right? Okay. So that checklist will be there. And then they, on my website, there's other free quizzes I can take as singles and couples and book chapter downloads that are free. The first 60 oh, pages of live and love beyond your dreams are in there too. Okay, yeah. great, great. Well, we will definitely link to that. Let's switch gears a little bit. I was interested in another one of your questions you had listed. Um, and it was, can you name five things that are in an emotionally healthy, evolved and consciously aware relationship? I'm curious yeah. what those five are. Sure. Uh, there's a lot mentioned in part four of the love book. So this goes into all what makes an emotionally healthy, evolved and conscious love. But here's just a few of them. And we start with the F's. Okay. Foundation is the first one. So that's the ability to trust and be trusted and confidence in who each other are as individuals. And they have shared moral values. So they each like themselves. They started as friends. They trust each other. It's like a best friend foundation, okay. which is really, really solid. Uh, the second F is flexibility. So they have open mind to hearing their partner's feelings they're very caring. They're easygoing. Um, they're emotionally open to hearing their partner's feelings and they allow loving conversation. So that's being flexible and thinking as a team. You know, mm-hmm. it's not like what I want and what the other one wants. It's like what's best for the team. The other F is friendship, which is shows like think about how you treat your best friend. You treat them with respect, kindness, you're reliable for your best friend, and you act that way. If they need you, you're there, right? So it's that best friend concept. Fun. You got to have fun, common interests, but allow if somebody has a different interest, they can do that and you can do yours. Uh, But you have to have things that you share, different, you know, same activities and hobbies that you really have a great time with. And the last one is faith. You know, the research shows those that share a spiritual grounding and practice faith together. And I don't necessarily mean religion where they do whatever they want all week. And for an hour, they go to church and all is forgiven. Right. I mean, living a a spiritual life 24-7. This is who they are in their character. Um, If they both have that and practice these beliefs and that faith-based guidance, Mm-hmm. that this pro- proves and provides the happiest and the longest sustainable couples and relationships. I just love how succinct you are, how <laughs> how you break <laughs> these things down into um, maybe non-obvious, but um, just bite-sized pieces that you can then tear apart each one. I love that. I, I'm looking forward to looking at some of your, some of your stuff. So your sure. website is... My name, RihannaMilne.com. Okay. And there, like I said, you can get the love tests. You can get the free eBooks. There's tons of articles. Um, my podcast is called Lessons in Life and Love with Coach Rihanna Milne. It's on every podcast platform as well as my YouTube channel. I think I have 230 free audios and videos that are educational. Wow. So help yourself to that. Um, 
Yeah. So, and then I'm offering, you know, at this point, a promotion to meet with me for life and love transformation discovery session at an amazing promotional rate. So you can get all those details on my website. Great. That is great. Well, we will link to all of that. And I just want to thank you for, um, for your time, but also for your, your teaching and, and, and just all your little tidbits of, of knowledge. I love it. You're welcome. Thank you for having me and have so, help and helping to change the way the world loves Jill. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to the Post Traumatic Faith Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts today. You can follow Jill on social media on Facebook and Instagram, JillRiley.author, and Twitter, JillRileyAuthor. To contact Jill, email jill at jillriley.org.